Hello and welcome to Just a Thought Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Corey Tinkham. Thanks for joining me. Today, we'll be talking about the placebo effect. Just how capable are our minds of affecting our bodies? Well, as it turns out, pretty capable. And we've got scientific proof to back it. So then, the question becomes, how far can we take this ability? Are we shortchanging ourselves by not exploring that question? Hey, sit back, relax, grab that favorite drink. It's going to be a good one, especially if you believe it is. Again, thank you so much for joining me on episode seven of Just a Thought podcast. Uh, moving right along, episode seven, I, I can hardly believe it. <laughs> anyway, hey, first order of business, just want to let everyone know that uh, we are now on um, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all the big swingers. Uh, it took a little while because there's a, an approval process for some of those. But anyway, if you search, just a thought in my name, Corey Tinkham. You, you'll, it'll, it'll come up for you. So give that a try. If that's you know any, any of those are your preferred listening platforms, you should be able to find me there. If not, shoot me an email and let me know. Um, Podcastjat at gmail Let me know if you can't access it. I will send you a link or figure out if there's uh, you know a bug or something going on. So now that that's out of the way, the placebo effect. We're all familiar with the placebo effect, um, and it's a fascinating thing. Um, in case you're not familiar, the placebo effect is the effect of a typically a medication that is, you know, a sugar pill or whatever. Um, sometimes they call them a bread pill, and it, they're given to patients for, you know, whatever ailment, whether it's pain relief, typically is a big one, uh, or symptom relief of another ailment. And But it's not a real medication, but the patient does not know this. And so the patient believes that the, the pill that they are taking is an actual medication. Uh, and therefore, just by belief alone, results are seen. And these, it's used, this, placebos are used, again, as we all know, just got to say it, in studies of new medications. So they'll give the real medication to a group, of participants, and then they'll give placebos to a control group. So just to measure how effective the, the actual medication is. Well, when they started doing this, they discovered, man, some participants are really, you know, seeing some results off these sugar pills. Why is that? Very strange. Thus, the placebo effect. It's very, very interesting. There's been a lot of studies on this. 
And we just don't know why it happens. There's a lot of ideas and there's a lot of evidence from the studies that have been done. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. And, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing because this isn't positive thinking. This isn't, you know, having a good attitude. It's a belief. You have to believe that what you're taking is an actual medication to a degree. There, we'll get into some studies where they literally write placebo on the label of the pills that the, the, the participants take, and there's still results seen. And the results are pretty amazing. I mean, there, there are, there's evidence, studies that have shown that the results of placebos on participants, especially for pain relief, is almost half as much, if not half as much, as the actual medication that's being tested. So we're looking at 50%, which in this kind of situation is significant. I mean, that's a big, big deal. Now, there, there are some ideas or, or possible explanations as to how this works. And one of the, the main one that, that I ran across was that taking a placebo, the act of taking a pill that you think is going to work and it's a real medication, triggers the production of endorphins in your brain, which we all know endorphins are, you know, our body's natural painkillers. You know, you often hear stories of, for example, someone that's been shot, and they say, oh, I didn't feel a thing. I, I, it was, I didn't even know I was shot. As they're running away from the scene or whatever the case is. And that's because there's just so many endorphins pumping through their brain the brain just blocks off the pain. Defense mechanism. So, and endorphins, the thing about them is that they're very, they're, because there are, are natural painkillers, their molecular structure is very similar to, to morphine and various other opiates. So they're very similar and they do kind of the same thing. So the idea is that when, when you are taking a pill that you believe is going to work, it creates these endorphins, which thus minimizes your, your pain that you're experiencing. Well, there's a chemical, and I think, here we go again, I'm probably going to mispronounce this. Naloxone is the name of this chemical. It's spelled N-A-L-O-X-O-N-E. And what this chemical does is it blocks the receptors of endorphins and, and opiates. And so when they use this on patients that are experiencing pain relief from a placebo, the effect of the placebo is reduced. So they're reducing the effect of the belief, if that makes sense. So in other words, let's say, for example, that you were taking a placebo pill, which you thought was a real uh, headache medication. And you were experiencing pain relief from your headaches using a sugar pill. But you didn't know that it was a sugar pill. And then let's say they swap out your sugar pills that you believe are headache meds. And they, they swap it out with that naloxone chemical. And you start taking that. And all of a sudden your, your amazing headache medication stops working. Because the receptors in your brain 
that receive the, the endorphins have been blocked. And the, the key here is the subject cannot know that they're not taking an actual medication. Again, to a degree. There, <laughs> there are studies done where they do know. It says it on the label, and we're going to get into that. But the, you know, the point here is, is that you know, I think they're on to something with the endorphins theory because, I mean, they're able, they're able to squelch the effect of the placebo effect uh, by using this chemical. So there's definitely something to that. Um, but the things that are going on in the brain to make this happen begin to get very broad. Meaning, pain relief, that's one thing. All fine and good and great. Um, in fact, they say anywhere from 30 to 60%. 60%. Of people will experience pain relief from taking a placebo. I mean, that's a big number in studies like this. But there's also the psychological side of it. And so there are three kind of categories that they theorize may be the culprit here of why this is occurring. Um, the first one is called classical conditioning. And classical conditioning, it's kind of an automatic conditioned response paired with a specific stimulus. And it creates a behavior. Think of Pavlov's dogs. If you're not familiar with Pavlov's dogs, he took dogs that anytime they would get fed, they, they, the stimulus was seeing their owners come in with food, and they would salivate. So he decided to create a new stimulus, which was ringing a bell anytime they were fed. So they would associate that sound with food. And sure enough... It worked. He would ring the bell and they would salivate before they even saw food. So it's, a, it's this conditioning over and over and over that creates a response from the subject. Think about anything. Think about commercials on TV. You know, the, the pounding of information over and over will condition people to, to behave a certain way or have a certain thought. I mean, that's a whole other topic right there, but that, that's, that's classical conditioning. And so they think, well, the act of taking a pill could cause some, some, the brain to believe, again, belief, that there's going to be an effect. And then, you know, results are, are experienced and results are, are seen. Um, and these things have been measured. It's, it's pretty impressive. Um, the, so the next the next thing that they think could be causing this is expectations. The the just the expectation of something can be so strong that it could force the brain to believe in something. If you experience something over and over again, or even just a couple times, you know you expect the same result. And you know if you think well. Oh man, I, I let's say you're in sales and you wear a red shirt to work one day and then you have the best sales day of your life and you say, oh man, I wore my lucky shirt, my lucky shirt, this is my lucky red shirt. And so then you go and you wear that shirt for good luck every time you want to make some sales and let's say that the next time you wear that shirt, you have another great day. So then there's an expectation built on that. And kind of as a side note, 
I've read about that that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing where you believe something, and using this red shirt example, it, when you wear your red shirt, you just believe that it's going to work, but subconsciously you're actually working harder, and you're doing more, creating the result. Anyway, that's kind of a, a different thing. But the expectation idea is that you expect something to occur based on past experiences, which is kind of a normal thing. We, we all do it. Um, you know, if you, again, take a pill and it cures your headache, and then, you know, a month later you get another headache and you take a pill, that you expect the same results. And it's, it's pretty much the same thing as classical conditioning, in my opinion. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. You're just, you know, doing it to yourself over and over, and then you have this expectation. But expectations can be created, and there's there are several ideas behind that as well. And the first one is verbal. Let's say, you know, you go to a doctor, and the doctor says, oh, it'll work. It's going to be great. This it'll, It's going to be fine. Here's, here's this medication, or here's this shot. And it's going to work. So then you expect it to because it's a doctor. You trust him. It's a doctor and he said it's going to work. So you expect it to and therefore it does because you believe the doctor. Also actions. Like actions taken in the past that have had a certain outcome would be expected to have the same or similar results. You know, when those actions are repeated. So any action you've taken, kind of like I was saying previously, it's just an expectation, something you would expect to happen, because you've done this before. You've taken a pill before, and it's worked. And so it just creates, uh, you know, an expectation of what's going to occur. And the other one is social. Social expectations, or expectations from social behaviors. Uh, the example would be, you know, a doctor telling you, you know, this pill's going to work, but his tone of, of voice and body language, you know, general comforting behavior, things like that, that, that can lead to positive expectations. So all these variables coming at you from all sides will affect your expectations, you know, and it, so it gets interesting because it works the other way as well. There's something called the nocebo effect, which is the opposite of a placebo effect, which is you can take a placebo and have a negative reaction from it. You can actually take a placebo and experience side effects. You can get sick. So what's occurring is the brain is doing the same thing, but just the opposite. So this great idea of our brain being able to do some positive things for us and for our bodies does the opposite. It can actually be a negative effect on you. That's fascinating to me. So how can we harness this and control it? It's, it's amazing. And the implications are astounding. If you really think about it, it kind of blows my mind. In 2014, the U.S. National Library of Medicine did a study. And they assessed how labeling drugs affected folks that had episodic migraines. And it was only 66 people, but the results were pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, participants were asked to rate their pain um, 30 minutes into a migraine. And they would, they would take their assigned pill 
and then rate their pain level two and a half hours later. Now, it was for the study was for a medication called Maxalt, a migraine medication called Maxalt, and the pills were labeled Maxalt, placebo, or either type. So the participants would get a bottle of pills with a label that said Maxalt, placebo, or either type. And the thing is, is they may be getting an actual bottle of Maxalt, the actual medication, but it might be labeled placebo. So it's interesting. Maxalt labeled as placebo was rated to provide about the same amount of relief as a placebo labeled Maxalt. If that makes sense, it's kind of hard to follow. So again, if you believe in something, in a medication, you're going to have good results. But even if you know, even if you know that what I'm taking might not be the actual medication by the label, even though the label says Maxalt, you know, you know it could be a placebo. Or you know the placebo-labeled bottle could be the actual medication. The results were pretty much the same. I mean, that's crazy. The brain's doing something here that is all from suggestion and belief. And I think that is super important. I believe that, I believe (laughs) that's super important and pretty incredible. And we don't know how it works. We don't know how expectations affect our bodies. And why does it have a strong effect on some symptoms like pain and depression? Depression was another one that they, they have seen some success with, uh, with experimenting with placebos. Um, so pain and depression. And, but there are others, other ailments that placebo effect doesn't really happen with. So why is it just some? And also, there's an ethical side to this. I mean, the idea would be, well, let's really, let's really try and treat people with placebos and see how it goes. You know, but that's, it's unethical because, you know, you're lying to your, your patient. This isn't, I'm not talking about an experiment where the, the participants are aware that they may be taking a placebo. I'm talking about actual treatment. And it, well, it has been done. There are actual, what they call dummy surgeries. And they would actually perform these faux surgeries on people that just had these awful symptoms and believed in their minds that they were they were hurting and they had something wrong and the doctors couldn't find anything wrong with them, but they would say, well, yeah, you know, we will do this surgery. It should fix, you, fix everything up. And they wouldn't only do surgeries. They would give a saline solution shot in the arm. Say, well, here, this will, this will help. And you know what? Half the time it worked. Now, it's super unethical. Um, The last dummy surgery was in 1975. And so, you know, we don't do that anymore. And we shouldn't. It's it's unethical. However, there is something here that warrants some very serious study because you're talking about pain relief with no medications. But there's like this... When I think about it, there's like a wall. Like you have to believe in the medication you're taking for the placebo effect to work. So how do we train ourselves 
to just believe that we're going to eliminate our pain, whether it's arthritis or whatever, whatever it is. Just using pain as an example, there are many other symptoms and ailments that the placebo effect actually works on. So how do we do that? You know, I think that should be kind of a, a, a study and there are people doing this or using their brain to affect their bodies in very amazing, amazing ways. So it's already happening. Um, Tibetan monks have been studied numerous times. You've probably heard of some of the amazing things that they are, they are capable of. Um, these are, you know, human beings doing these incredible things with their minds. And the first, the first thing that comes to my mind is Tibetan monks, they can control their blood pressure, their body temperature. There was the, um, I call it the sheet example. Harvard did a study, and I'll link to this in the show notes. There's an article about it, and there's I, I put a YouTube video in there so you can actually watch it. Um, they were put in a room that was 40 degrees Fahrenheit, and they took three by six foot sheets and soaked them in, in cold water. And the sheets were, I think, 49 degrees. And they wrapped these sheets around these monks, and they noticed that they weren't shivering. They didn't appear cold at all. And then they noticed steam starting to roll off of the monk's shoulders. And within an hour, the sheets were warm to the touch and absolutely dry. So they were able to raise their body temperature. And this is measured. They measured this. They can slow their metabolism down. It's incredible. All, all with the use of meditation and the use of their mind. It's really remarkable and I think warrants, you know, more study, as I'm sure will be done. Uh, there was another video of a, a monk throwing a sewing needle through a pane of glass and popping a balloon. Now think about that. How do you, how do, you do that? And that's not necessarily, you know, using the brain to affect the body, but it's using the brain to do something that one would assume is impossible. So what, what are our brains capable of allowing our bodies to do? So when it comes to the placebo effect, it just makes me wonder what else our brains do every single day with our bodies that we just are completely unaware of. Think about stress. And there are articles on this as well. Stress has a huge effect on the body. Massive negative effect on the body. And it's you know, it's it's been proven, we all know it. You know, it's pretty incredible. So how do we harness and control this ability to, to affect our bodies on this level. And, you know, just kind of thinking out loud. I think I'm, I'm tending to ramble on this episode a little bit, but there's just so much here. And if you think about, for example, I don't know if you've ever heard about a case where there's an elderly person and they, and this actually happened to my grandmother. 
where they don't know they have something wrong with them. And they're going along about their lives just fine. And they go to the doctor for a checkup, maybe, you know, to get some blood work or something. And all of a sudden, it's discovered they have, you know, stage four cancer. And they're given six weeks to live, whatever the case is. And then they just deteriorate immediately from seemingly perfectly healthy. And then, you know, uh, yeah, six weeks later, they're, they're gone. But stage four cancer, you think there'd be other symptoms. But if you don't know you have it, maybe, maybe your body just doesn't, you know, no, I'm not saying that it won't eventually get you, but there was, and uh, there's no link to this in my show notes because I'm literally just thinking out loud right now, but I believe it was NPR where I heard a story about a family whose grandmother, she was like the matriarch of the family, was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and they gave her, I can't remember, a really short period of time to live, and they decided just not to tell her for whatever reason. I remember thinking that it was very strange. I don't even know how you could do that. Um, Perhaps she, I don't remember, but maybe she wasn't cognitively sound, but they didn't tell her, and she lived for years. She lived way past the expectations of these medical experts. So, what does that tell us? And what would have happened if they had told her? You know, so it really is an interesting, interesting thing. The brain has way more control subconsciously over us than we realize on so many levels. And I think that it would be advantageous for us to kind of learn or try to learn how to harness that because it's beneficial to us as, as a species. You know, because if we, you know, they say the placebo effect only works on, you know, things like pain or depression or it doesn't cure an ailment. It just, it doesn't cure it. Well, I think maybe, maybe it could. Maybe we just don't know how to do that. And I know that sounds crazy, but really, I mean, there, think of, now this is getting really outside of the box, but think of like things like stigmata. And there, there's actual um, cases where people have, have produced blisters on their skin with their mind. And I, th- I mean... These are documented things. And I'll go back and link to that in the show notes, but I'm telling you, these are things we need to pay attention to, but we don't for some reason. And I, 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 we could go into why that is, but these are real things. And I think we're shortchanging ourselves by not kind of exploring those things. People say, well, it's hokey, it's crazy. Is it? And why is it? Why is that crazy? I just think that our minds are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. 
And it's not crazy. It's not, it's not some sort of hokey fringe thing just because we don't understand it. I mean, that's how we've gotten to where we are today is by exploring the things we don't understand because we see evidence of it all the time. And I think the placebo effect is one of those things. I think it's kind of like a hint at something bigger. And we should probably pay attention to it. I mean, that's my opinion. And I know I'm rambling, but it's, I think it's important. And again, I don't want to sound kooky or whatever, but there's just mountains of evidence that there's something happening here. And if you look at the placebo effect, just break it down to its simplest form. Somebody believes that they're taking a medication, which is actually a sugar pill or whatever, and it works. All the only, And the only reason it works is all because of their, their mind. So how, it's like, a, think of it as a muscle. If we exercise that muscle, it can do more. You know, and I think, I really think that's, there's something to that. And I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's uh, hokey or anything. I mean, I think it's something to pay attention to. As I've said, like 500,000 times, and again, I'm rambling, and I always put in my notes, don't ramble, don't ramble. But I tend to do that, and I, so I apologize. But, man, this is, was an interesting one for me because I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the power of the mind. And, I mean, we've seen evidence of this with subliminal messages in movies back in the day where they, you know, I mean, they, the government had to make laws against it because it works. I mean, our brains can do some crazy things. And I think the problem is we just don't understand why that's happening or why that's possible. Like everything else in, in our you know, history, when we discover things, you know, hell, electricity was... Who would have thought, you know, before it was discovered, oh, you could do... You know, or even wireless communication was in science fiction novels forever before it ever became a thing. So there, there's a great example. What else has science fiction predicted that just hasn't come to pass yet? So, I mean, something that may seem a little crazy, you know, might end up being something someday. So, food for thought. Hey, thanks for joining me on this one. It's kind of a short episode. I feel like I've rushed through it. it. Part of it is because my studio is literally a garage with no heater, and it's very cold. So that might be part of it. But anyway, tune in next week. I'm going to go ahead and tackle reincarnation. It's a fascinating subject, and, you know, it's present in a lot of major religions. So, and Buddhism being, being the big one, but there's a lot of evidence for this one too. And it gets really, really strange, par for course for just a thought. So, hey, thanks again for tuning in to episode seven. I really appreciate it. I'm working really hard to try and grow this thing and we'll see where it goes. 
That said, any topics you want to hear, I've got a long list of, of topics coming up, but if there's anything specific that you want me to cover, please just, you know, let me know. Um, podcastjat at gmail.com. We'll do it. I hope you enjoyed this one, and as always, be well. Be well.